Um, we, are, we are studying John's gospel. I love John's gospel because we get, um, we get to see Jesus interacting with people. So he has a long conversation with, um, with Nicodemus in chapter 3. And today in chapter 4. Oh yeah, by the way, kids, you are dismissed for children's church. Okay? Um, no, Tyler, don't go. <laughs> Young adults, not children's church. Okay. Um, so, uh, so Jesus interacts with people, and we get to see what it's like to have a relationship with Jesus. Now, today in John chapter 4, Jesus is going to have a conversation with a woman from Samaria at a well. It's called the woman at the well, all right? Now, it's 42 verses. So I'm not going to read through all 42 verses and then come back and read through all 42 verses again as we cover the text. Here's how I'm going to handle this sermon today. Um, I'm going to call this simply a running commentary. So I'll read the verses and I'll make some comments and, and we'll go through it. Um, as opposed to, here's a clever outline with three points that all begin with the same letter or all the points rhyme, or they spell out the name of a town. That would, that would be good, right? Um, Caneville, it spells out, right? Um, so here we go. John chapter 4. Lord, we just ask for you to fill this place with your presence. Uh, may it be as if you are speaking directly to us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so... John 4, 1, now when Jesus learned that uh, the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, John the Baptist, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. So the Pharisees were jealous of, first of all, John the Baptist, and now they're jealous of Jesus because the people see that John and Jesus are prophets sent from God, and multitudes are starting to follow John and Jesus. So the Pharisees are jealous, and they're out to destroy them. Now, Jesus is not afraid to die. It's just not his time to die yet. I, I, I put it this way. He has to stay alive long enough to get to Jerusalem so he can die. Right? So the Pharisees are out to get him. So he uh, is leaving the southern part of Israel where the baptisms were taking place and he's going to go back to his hometown to, to the Galilee area. Right? And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from the journey, was sitting beside the well. All right. And by the way, if you have a, a King James version, it doesn't say beside. Anybody have a King James? What's it say? He was sitting on the well. Yeah. So picture that. God sitting on a well. All right. 
was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour, which means it's high noon, and that's significant um, in, in just a moment. So here's the situation. Um, he was down here near Jerusalem, near the Dead Sea, the Jordan River, baptizing. Now, typically, when, when a Jew went to the northern region of Galilee, they didn't want to go through Samaria. Samaritans and Jews hated each other. So a lot of times they would go Transjordan. They would go down the, this side of the Jordan River. But this says Jesus had to go through Samaria. And the question is, why did he have to go there? He had an appointment with a woman at a well. She doesn't know it, but he knows it. A woman from Samaria came to drink water. Right? Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. Fully human. He sweat. He got thirsty. He bled. He was really a human. He says, I need a drink. It's hot. For his disciples had gone away into this city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria, and then John writes, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Now there's a lot of taboos being broken here. First of all, there was the gender taboo. Jewish men did not speak in public to women, especially rabbis. They didn't want to have anybody think Anything strange was going on. Remember, Mike Pence said he would not have lunch with a woman without somebody else being there. He called that the Billy Graham rule. Billy Graham would never have uh, a one-on-one -on -one meeting with uh, a woman. Jesus breaks the Billy Graham rule. Okay. There's also kind of a moral taboo being broken. Not that Jesus is immoral, but we know about her. We're going to learn about her past. So it's scandalous for him to talk to her. She's a, she's a woman with a reputation. Okay. Then there is a national taboo. Jews and Gentiles, or Jews and, and Samaritans, I should say, hated each other. Now, what's going on here? Well, um, Samaria, we'll go back to the, the map, um, back in 722 B.C., the Assyrians from way over here came in and they destroyed the northern region of, uh, of Israel, and then they brought in pagan uh, people, who intermarried with the Jews here, and that's now called Samaria. And their re religion got blended together and corrupted, okay? Now, at first, the Samaritans first worshiped idols, but then they had lion trouble. Lions roamed through the land and killed people. Remember Samson, the lion attacks him. So they had lion trouble. So they thought, you know what? It's probably because we don't honor the God of this land. So you know what they did? They went back to reading 
the Bible, but only the first five books of the Bible called the Pentateuch, the books that Moses read. So Samaritans only honored the first five books of the Bible, whereas the Jews had the entire Old Testament canon. Now, um, because they only believed in the first five books of, of the Old Testament, the latter books talk about the history of Israel where uh, the Jews go into the promised land and God says, build a temple in Jerusalem. So the Jews say, Jerusalem is where you have the temple. That's where you worship God. The Samaritans say, we don't, we don't buy those books. They built a temple on a, a, a mountain, Mount Gerizim, which is, is um, in the background here. Sychar is where the well is, and the mountain is in the background, okay? And they, they debated, Jews and, and uh, Samaritans, where's the right place to go to church? Is it on Jerusalem's mountain or Mount Gerizim? So they disagreed on the books of the Bible. They disagreed on where to worship God, okay? So this, this woman says, what are you doing talking to me? I'm a Samaritan woman, right? So Jesus goes on, and he answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, you would have asked me, and he, I, would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with. And the well is deep. Where are you going to get that living water? Now, we know Jesus is speaking figuratively here. He's, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, the indwelling Holy Spirit that will bring her salvation and restored relationship with God. That's the water that he is offering. But a theme in, in John's gospel is many times Jesus will say something figuratively and people will take it literally. In John chapter 2 he says, um, I'm going to destroy this temple and rebuild it in three days. He meant the temple of his body. And they took it to mean he's going to destroy Herod's temple. Right? In, in John 3, he says to, to Nicodemus, you must be born again. And Nicodemus goes, I got to go back in my mommy's tummy. Right? Here he talks about living water. He's talking about the Holy Spirit, not what she, she's thinking about water in the well. This is why, people, I believe in John 6, when Jesus says, you got to eat my flesh, drink my blood, I don't think we'd take that literally. Some people at communion, they go, well, he said, you got to eat his flesh and drink his blood. He's talking about communion. The bread turns into his body and the wine turns into his blood. The theme of John's gospel is that he's speaking spiritually, metaphorically, and people misunderstand it and take it literally, all right? So um, she goes on to say, are you greater than our father Jacob? 
He gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. You know, she's doing a little um, preemptive, don't try to convince me you're Jewish, I'm a Samaritan, I know you Jews think you're better than us Samaritans, but this well, we can trace our history back to Jacob, and this is in our territory. Beat ya, is what she's, she's saying, okay? Jesus doesn't take the bait. He doesn't try to say, yeah, well, the Jews are also descended from, from Jacob, and the, the well doesn't matter. No, he doesn't take the bait, okay? He stays with the water theme. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Does she get it? The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. No, she is stuck in Literalsville. Right? So, Jesus tries another approach. Okay? Look what he does. It's like, let's, let's set the water aside for a second. And he says, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, well, uh, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying, I have no husband. For you've had five husbands. And the one you now have is not your husband. You're living with a guy right now. And her response is, what you've said is true. Right. Now, virtually in every sermon I've ever heard on John 4, the preacher says she's about to try to change the topic because he has shown a spotlight on her messed up life. She doesn't want to talk about her marriages and her sin and so forth. Um, so she's going to try to change the topic. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Okay, how else would he have known? Speaking of prophets and religious things, our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. What about that? Let's talk about mountains. Okay. Now, um, I don't think she's trying to change the topic. I don't buy the idea that she's running away. Here's what I think's going on in her mind. She's thinking, clearly, he's a prophet. How else would he know all my business? Right? So he's a prophet. But here's the problem. All my life, I've been told Jews are wrong about two things. The number of books in the Bible 
and where you're supposed to worship. Those are just two deal breakers for me. You know, kind of like, um, let, let's say a Protestant and a Catholic are having an interesting discussion. And somebody says something profound, doesn't matter which one. But they know there's a difference. Do you know that Protestants have fewer books in your Bible than Catholics? Catholics have, um, have more books, right? It's called the Apocrypha, the, the Old Testament books. There are more books. And um, so let's say you're having a discussion about something profound and, and you go, wow, that's really interesting, but I, I can't get by the fact. I don't know if I should trust what you're saying because of the, the number of books in the Bible issue. That's a, that's a, a non-starter for me. We gotta, we gotta get that resolved. I, I think she's saying, I think you're worshiping on the wrong mountain. So I think you're a prophet, but this, this issue is bothering me. That's why she brings it up. All right? Now, here's what Jesus does. He cuts through the confusion of the location question. Do you worship on Mount Gerizim or in Jerusalem? By, by basically saying this, you're asking the wrong question. You're asking where, and the question is how. Not where to worship, but how do you worship? And he says the, the where question doesn't matter. You know, in 40 years, the Romans are going to come in and totally obliterate the whole land. There won't be a temple. Right? So, um, Jesus says this. Jesus said, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Location, location, location isn't the matter. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. All right? What, what's he saying? He's saying, by the way, the whole question of who's right, the Jews are right when it comes to the books of the Bible. Okay? God has given the full, we, Protestants say 39 books, same as the Jewish canon Okay, not just five. We do, we Jews, he is saying, we have the full revelation of God, the full truth about salvation. Okay, now he's going to make a statement about the problem with both Samaritan and Jewish worshipers. He's going to basically say this. The Jews have the truth, but they're lacking the heart, the spirit. Samaritans may seem like they have heart because they're probably very emotional in their worship, but they don't have the truth. So here's what Jesus says. But an hour is coming and is now here. It's already here. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and 
truth. True worshipers are those who study the whole revelation of God and their spirit is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit is giving living water and communes with God. All right? So the problem with the Jews is they are involved in what you would call dead orthodoxy. They have the truth, but blah, who cares? All right? The problem with the, the Samaritans is they have exciting worship. The lights and the lasers and the, uh, the, the trees of speakers, and it's an awesome concert there in Samaria. They just really don't know what they're talking about. And the mention of the spirit here, or spirit here, connects us back to the original topic of living water, which is talking about the Holy Spirit indwelling us and connecting us with God. Now, he just taught a lot about worship here. And by the way, um, we, we've been fortunate enough to be able to go to Jerusalem. We've been on five trips to Israel. And uh, people go, oh, I want to go to Israel. And if you can go, that's great. Get to see where Jesus walked and, and, and look at all the places you read about in your Bible. It's awesome. But you know what? If you never get to go to Israel or to Jerusalem, it doesn't matter because this is just as much holy ground. In fact, there may be more true believers in this room than there are in Jerusalem right now. Okay? It's not about location. It's about worshiping in spirit and in truth. Okay? There, I just, I just got ourselves cut out of the moody tour to, to, to Israel. No, go if, go if you, you want to, okay? Um, the woman's still confused. And here's what she says. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who's called Christ. So in her books of the Bible, they still had a concept of a Messiah coming. And you know what? When he comes, he'll tell us all things. He'll straighten this whole thing out about which mountain, how many books of the Bible. I'm going to wait on him to come. Are you ready for this? Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Woo! <laughs> the Jew sitting on the well is the Messiah. Imagine the goosebumps. Now, her first thought was probably, yeah, and I'm Queen Jezebel too, right? But then I think she thinks, maybe he's right. How else would he know all about my life? Imagine that moment. Have you ever met a famous person in a strange place? I, I remember, um, this, was, this was before we were even married. I was driving my little red Honda down Route 38 um, from, I was coming from 59 
toward Geneva before, before Kirk Road. That's just a stretch of desolate land, of road there. You know, there's the DuPage Airport and all that out there. I'm just driving. It's a four-lane highway, two lanes going toward Geneva. And I'm driving, and this white van passes me. And I look, and I'm like, that was Mike Ditka. And why that matters, this was in the 80s. That was back when the bears were good, right? <laughs> and I'm like, was that why would Mike Ditka be driving a white van? And there was a player in the car next to him, and, but it was just a white van, like he'd rented it from, I don't know, just a, there was, it didn't say bears or anything, but I'm like, I gotta see if that's Ditka. So I, I speed up, and I, and I look over, and there's the coach with the mustache chewing the gum, and he does this to me. He, he <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, I'm Mike Ditka. <laughs> Made your day, buddy. <laughs> so this woman goes to get some water. There's a Jewish guy sitting on the well. I'm God. What an amazing thing. Right. Now, right in the middle of this, just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. Again, you know, breaking taboos. But no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, and just a, just a little interesting comment here. She left her physical water jar because she had just had a drink of living water. Okay. So she goes to town. Now, for those of you who say, I'm not very good at evangelism. I'm not very good at talking about things of God. People know more than I do. I don't know very much. How much theology does this woman have? Zero. She goes to town and she says, Come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. Right? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Did somebody go through Taco Bell and get him something that we don't know about? What's he talking about? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And I think if you've ever led anybody to the Lord or been involved in uh, people coming to Christ or teaching them truth. You know what he's talking about. There's a satisfaction that's, that, that, that's more satisfying than a good steak. Okay? That's what he's talking about. Then he says, Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Okay, so farmers, how far away are we from harvest? I don't know. Five months? All right? He's, he's basically saying... You know, there's a time to plant and a time to harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the fields are white for harvest. And he may be saying, look at that crowd coming from Sychar that this woman has gathered. There's a harvest coming. 
Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper may rejoice. Together there's going to be a revival. For here the saying holds true, one sows, another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. I think he's simply saying this, that um, some people do the hard work of tilling the soil and then others do the planting and the glory job is to reap the harvest. We all play a part and he goes, you are going to now be a part of reaping the harvest. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to, th- came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. We really like this Jewish guy. He's not like other Jewish people, and he might be the Messiah. Would you stay with us and tell us everything for two days? And many more believed because of his word. There was a Samaritan revival going on here. They said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed, and here's the climax of the story, he's the savior of the world, not just of the Jews, but of the Samaritans. They get it far more than the Jews do, and we'll talk about that uh, next week, how blind most of the Jewish people are uh, but, but Samaritans and outsiders get it. All right, now, let's close with, with uh, his offer of giving her living water. Right? She's looking for something. Who knows the story? Has, has she run away from five relationships or have they used her and abused her and kicked her out? And, and she's trying to find something to quench her thirst. She's gone from man to man to man. Maybe some of you are here and you're, you're trying to find fulfillment and it's got to be this relationship and it hasn't worked or that relationship or maybe for you it's your career or money or just numbing yourself out in front of the TV and you go there's, there's life is just blah there's got to be more and there's a thirst and you may not even know it she didn't know it he had to probe around And he says, what you really need is living water. In Jeremiah, God says this, Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. One, they've forsaken me, the fountain of living water. They've turned their back on God and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. You're trying to be satisfied by going to broken, dusty, disgusting cisterns when I, the God of living water, am offering myself to you. Are you thirsty? Do you know what 
this woman is experiencing. What's the most thirsty you've ever been? I thought about this. I, re I remember the thirstiest, is that a word? Thirstiest I've ever been. It was, I, I played uh, football. And I remember the two-a-day workouts in August. If your morning workout or you're already dehydrated, and then you have your, your, like right at two in the afternoon under the heat with your helmet on. Now, and that was back when, when, you know, coaches didn't know you had to give your, your players water. It was like, you can do this without water. You know? Well, I, I remember just being so thirsty. And then at one point, the coach would say, all right, go get a drink. And the whole team would run. There was this pipe coming out of the ground that had a little button and, and cold water would come out. And the whole team would just line up like drooling dogs looking at that water. And if, if, a, if a kid was there too long, like five linemen would go and pick him up and throw him out of the way so the next person could get a drink. And I, I remember that drink water. Everybody has that thirst. And Jesus says, I'm the only one who can quench that thirst. And when you drink of Jesus, what, what it means to drink of Jesus is you believe in him. First of all, he forgives you. I mean, this woman had a messy past. She needed to be forgiven. Right? He loves you. She's been running from relationship to relationship, but doesn't know true love. The Holy Spirit actually, in Romans 8, it says the Holy Spirit um, witnesses to our spirit that we are children of God. That's what we, what we all really want. And then you know what he gives you? Salvation. A restored relationship with God and the promise of eternal life. Have you run from the cistern, run from the relationship, run from whatever it is you've been hoping in and come to Jesus and believed drunk from the living water. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you kept after her. You, you didn't let her, her, her stay in Literalville, but you, you kept showing that you are the Christ and that you can satisfy in a way that no one or nothing else can. Lord, I pray for everybody in this room, for those who are thirsty but may never have drunk of the living water. I pray you would open eyes, open hearts, and that we would drink of you and find that satisfaction. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.